Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Avengers Endgame premiered and up on the site under the Avengers tab, you can find everything from the Ringer staff's exit survey full of reactions and takeaways, an emergency big picture podcast with Sean Fennessy and Mallory Rubin, as well as lots of other coverage on the Marvel Universe as a whole. Also up on the site, Robert Mays and Kevin Clark are breaking down the NFL draft, and Haley O'Shaughnessy, Jonathan Charks, and Dan Devine are keeping you up to date with the NBA playoffs. You can check all of these things out on TheRinger.com. Hello, and welcome to another edition of The Recapables Billions. I'm Allison Herman, and here with me for the first time, it is a privilege and an honor to be joined by my fellow staff writer, Paolo Ugetti. What's up, Paolo? What's up? I mean, honestly, it's an honor for me. This is a show that I've loved since I've been here at The Ringer, and I've always listened to this podcast, and I was like, well, you know, maybe one day they'll have me on to talk about it, and here we go. Your first time, long time, as they say in the radio business. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I actually did want to talk to you about your relationship to this show. A segment we do on usually kind of the one-off show, Recapables, is why do we love this show? And obviously, if you're listening to this podcast about the fourth season of a long-running television show, you're probably pretty confident on why you love the show, but Paolo, because it's your first time— Just tell me a little bit about your relationship with Billions. So I didn't watch the first two seasons, I believe. But then I started sort of picking up more of the references that, you know, people here at the office love to talk about and just going back and reading stuff that you guys had written about it. And I was like, well, let me just get in it. And then I just binged the whole thing. And immediately it was like, this is everything I wanted from a show that is not exactly like super highbrow because you can still sort of like enjoy it in a, in a very casual way while also getting everything that you would get from like a quote unquote peak TV show. You know what I'm saying? Totally. I thought you were going to say, and then I started working at The Ringer. Well, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to say that didn't have an influence on it. That definitely helped. Yeah, I definitely think that happens to a lot of people in this office is like you kind of learn that, you know, you should at least know about it to have conversations, I mean, the, you know? The same thing happened with me and Thrones, too. So, you know, the, the precedent is there. And now you're just part of a global phenomenon. <laughs> there so you go, exactly. you're welcome. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so excited to talk about this episode. It is the seventh episode of the fourth season. It is called Infinite Game. It was written by co-creators and showrunners Brian Koppelman and David Levine and directed by Lori Colley. And quite a bit happens in this so episode. So much. But I loved it, to be clear. I mean, so did I, but I just wanted to say, we do this like 60-ish second plot recap that I'm about to launch into, and I think I counted like six different subplots, so this is by no means going to be comprehensive, but we should at least get it out of the way before we like really dive into the meat of this episode. Here, without further ado, is your plot recap. Operation Teardown Taylor Mason hits a snag when Taylor recommits to their father instead of selling him out to Rebecca Cantu. So with the help of, quote, Hard Bob Beaufort, a.k.a. Connie Hilton from Mad Men, Axe uses the power of big government to force their hand. Wendy helps, but distracted by a disintegrating marriage and impending home sale, shows her cards. Bruno, the pizza guy, announces his retirement plan, which Axe has some trouble with, but eventually accepts once Rebecca reminds him not everyone is a compulsive workaholic. He'll need to find a new location for his off-the-books meetings, though. Chuck once again bails out the gun permit loser, who promptly uses his legal weapon to murder a dog. Chuck also puts the screws to Todd Krakow and agrees to help his dad with a little maybe illegal banking assistance, much to Connery and Sacker's delight. Very busy week for Chuck. Taylor cuts ties with their father, but after realizing what an opportunistic leech he really is, the break might not be as devastating as Axe and Wendy originally hoped. In fact, after a very public upbraiding from her former pal, Mafie, it's Wendy who is shook and crying while running on the Brooklyn Heights promenade. Wow. 
just so much. There was so much. (laughs) Just overall, what were your impressions of this episode? I loved how it kept you on your toes a lot, you know, because, and this goes back to sort of you asking me what I loved about the show. And I think, you know, there's obviously a fun aspect of watching the rich people do things kind of thing, you know, that that, that, uh, this show clearly harps on. But I think within that, what I've enjoyed the most is sort of the the backstabbing and the backroom dealing and all of that happened. There was a lot of that here. Like you had to keep track of four different like plot, not just plots, but like, okay, so is this person on this side, but it's also trying to do this person on that side. And I find that fun, even though it was a bit confusing at times. Lots of shifting alliances. I mean, Miles Surrey and I, in our last episode of The Recapables, talked about how excited we were for a potential realignment in the cast. That would be Wendy and Taylor versus Axe and Chuck. And that definitely seems like some conscious misdirection on the show's part, because Wendy was not allied with Taylor. She was faking them out and actually manipulating them. And I think it's really interesting to see Wendy reach kind of a spiritual rock bottom almost. It was a really good episode for uh, Maggie Siff. I think she was really good with it because you you couldn't even figure out sort of which side she was on in some cases. But at the same time, she really like drove home the point, the theme that was that ran through this entire episode, which was kind of this like work life balance situation between family and, and sort of the. The, the workaholicness Great of it. Great cross-promotion for the Recapables Killing Eve. There Tune in to hear our thoughts about work-life balance every week. But to your point, I thought like maybe the major theme of the episode was what Taylor's father Douglas says to them when he's storming out, which is just essentially winning to people like these never feels like winning. Yeah. So, you know, there's acts just like totally unable to understand why anyone would want to retire and just, you know, in a trademark lack of empathy, can't really understand why like toiling in manual labor for 20 years might make like chilling out in Florida look very different. Right. And then you also get, you know, Taylor technically makes a return on their investment, but like they don't really seem to be super happy because they it came at the expense of a very important personal relationship. And then mm-hmm. finally you get Wendy, who just went like all in to channel her kind of lack of sense of control over the rest of her life. She just goes all in on this war against Taylor and technically strikes what she originally thought would be the killing blow. But it clearly like takes a lot out of her both in general and like when Muffy tells her to her face that she's a garbage person. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think that she is now kind of seeing how much she's a pawn in Axe's system, but at the same time trying to, like you said, gain control, you know, inside her own house. And I thought that probably the most interesting scene to me was the pancake eater story, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But Chuck, it, it felt like he was trying to woo her in the same way he would like convince like a, I don't know, like a another uh, politician to do what he wanted. You know what I'm saying? And, and it and then, like, didn't work on her. And I found that kind of fascinating, too. Well, and, like, what she does for a living is literally yeah. talk to people and talk things out, and she just refuses to talk to her husband. I mean, like, there was that moment last episode where Chuck was like, I really think we can work this out, and he, she just, like, ignores him. And then she literally, like, puts their home on the market, which, yeah. by the way, <laughs> beautiful Brooklyn Heights brownstone. I cannot even imagine the recruitment on the investment they're going to get. It's going to be insane. I love how the realtor was like, this This will do great on Zillow. <laughs> I, like, I feel like it's kind of too classy for Zillow. This feels yeah, like, a, yeah. like, you know when like Sotheby's or something has like a sure. specific like page just for the house because it's like that fancy. Right. I clearly read a lot of real estate coverage in my spare time. I mean, I was going to say, this is one of those things where you, you would see it on a newspaper and be like, oh, like, uh, you know, Chuck Rhodes sells his... 
Oh my god! You know, like when you're paging through like the New York Times magazine, and yes. you're like, this luxury apartment building took out an entire page just to talk about how fancy their apartments are. That's exactly what it would be. It's weird how she phrases it entirely in terms of like selling the house, and they never actually say the D word. Or maybe mm, it's just yeah. like we know we're not going to get divorced because that we live public lives, and that would be very public. But we're just going to start living separate, something, separately. Something I wonder about the show in general not just in this episode, but overall, is we never sort of fully see... We, I mean, we get glimpses of, like, a Chuck press conference or, you know, like, uh, go to, like, the, the news channel that they have and sort of seeing w- what the news are. But we never sort of fully see what the outside world sometimes is perceiving about them in a lot of ways. Or we only we only hear, like, blips and, and pieces about it. So I, I do wonder what that would be if they just can't get divorced because, of, like you said, the public aspect of it. And, like, maybe that's the last thing Wendy that's the line she won't cross because she knows how important the political career is to Chuck. But at the same time, she's like very much out on it, on him and that path right now, it seems. So on the public private thing, I totally think you're right. I do think like a big theme of the show is that these are people who exhibit or exert like an enormous amount of influence over the public sphere, but they prefer to keep themselves very private. Yeah. Chuck only won because of this like historically low voter turnout election. He's like a politician who's not very good at politics, right. which is tough. But also like a lot of the action that characters take in this episode seems to be kind of predicated on people not really knowing. Like the thing with Todd Krakow mm-hmm. made me realize, oh yeah, this like Chuck Axe rapprochement is like not public knowledge and it appears to be very intentional. Right. Because then they can kind of disguise and leverage things based on that. Yeah, I, I love that part because for a while, I've been wondering, like, how are they going to really sell me on the Chuck Axe partnership, right? And it still feels a little weird, but the fact that they've been able to not just keep my interest in the show while not having that original adversarial relationship still stand, plus make me invested in this crack, I think, because I think crack is like an easy person to hate, <laughs> you know? And, and so the fact that they both turn on him, like it was like a quiet fist bump kind of thing was like, oh, that's cool. Because I, yeah. I almost thought that that would be the breaking point where that's where the show would then once again pivot to Axe versus Chuck. Yeah. Danny Strong really like turns up the ooze. Just yeah. great job on his part. I mean, I also think part of it is I've mostly been surprised how little it changes the show because they're yeah. on such separate tracks to begin with. And mostly it's just like an occasional check-in and it's interesting to see Axe kind of change tactics in the sense that like it's very unusual for him to call the government and be like how do I use this to my advantage because he's normally so contemptuous of the public sector in all its various forms so it just kind of gives them like an extra tool in their toolbox Mm -hmm. and like unifies the show a little more in a way that I mean it's obviously not going to last right? I'll be sad to see it go I will say it is interesting how I remember you know, during the first few seasons of the show when it was very much Chuck versus Axe, one of the questions I would have, and I'm sure you would have and other people would have, is how is Wendy even able to keep up this relationship where, like, her work husband and her actual husband are fighting, you know, or are trying to go at each other? And now that they're not, it seems like she's now in, like, a very stressed out vibe that I would have expected maybe earlier on. Yeah, she's kind of having a dark night of the soul that she can't really share with either Axe or Chuck. And, like, she doesn't really have friends so i don't really know where she goes from here and the one friend that was supposed to be her friend actually was part of this whole elaborate ruse because she can't escape you know access plan yeah i mean i think it really is starting to wear on wendy that people who used to really admire her and turn to her for help are now saying like i see through you Mm -hmm. and 
I'm assuming we're going to see the consequences of that play out. But before we give out some more awards, we're just going to sum up everything that we just talked about in our quick tweet-length review. So, Paolo, what is your 280-character less impression of this episode of Billions? So I I had work-life balance is nice, but crushing your adversaries is nicer. That was mine. I think the characters in the show would like to believe that, but are finding out that's maybe not the case. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And then I also thought that I thought of like an alternate title for this, which was like Humble Pie, because I was so struck by how they used not just the pie at the end, but then obviously you have the whole pizza plot during it that is, you know, about Bruno trying to get to Florida or whatever. And this is not a first for Billions, but there was so much food in this episode, too, which I love, by the way. First of all, great alternate title. That is a former segment on this show that you just made a very strong case for bringing back. But unfortunately, I'm not as good at puns as you. (laughs) But also that pie was so hilarious to me. It was just the most on-the-nose metaphor of she's like, oh, it's how you create the impression of an inviting home. And it's like, because you need to simulate it because it's not inviting right. home. She didn't even have to do that. She said it. She's like, oh, yeah, it's it's meant to simulate the ambience of a fa- of like a perfect home. It's It was such like a twist and knife moment. Yeah, sure. as I'm like helping your wife sell your own home out from under you. So my tweet length review was just family is hard. Marriage is harder. And trying to keep your job as attorney general while constantly doing crimes is hardest of all. <laughs> yeah. To that last point, what do you feel about the whole phone tapping, you know, other side plot that we're having with Carnady and Sacker. It feels a little too, like they hit a slam dunk way too early. Like they they yeah. just, they started wiretapping him last episode and then he just like did a crime in front of them. And I feel like <laughs> there's too much of the season left for that to just be it. Right. But I'm curious to see how that works out. Mostly I'm just like increasingly frustrated with Chuck who for being so aware of how his father has, like, traumatized him and affected him and, like, using that as a plea to get his wife back and yet just immediately caves to his dad's extremely dumb request. It is incredible to me how the show has been able to make Chuck Sr., like, a worse and worse person even as like I was like no he like there's no way he can be worse than what's already been laid out for us and then we get like I said the pancake story and it's just like why are you still even talking to him you know yeah I mean to be clear I find it very believable that like a rich and powerful person is still just like totally vulnerable to this very basic psychological I mean you know we don't need to compare Billions and Succession too much, but that's, like, <laughs> literally the whole show Succession. Right. But, I mean, it was a little crazy to me that he literally started out the phone call being like, do not talk to me about this while I am sitting in a public office. Yeah. And then by the end of the phone call was like, yes, you told me you loved me. So, right. like, that's all fine. I loved what he said. He was like, I have neither time nor inclination to dick around with protestations of emotions. This is incredible stuff. Yeah. Real, some really, like, amazingly wooden dialogue this episode. Yeah. Like, that conversation between... Between Taylor and Wendy when they're furniture shopping. Oh my gosh, yeah. I was just like, this is two robots talking at each other, but it also totally makes sense for these two characters to right. just like not really know how well, to do that. Well, that's the whole heart. thing about the show, I feel. Like it's just like a bunch of people who like are trying to be one thing, but yet they're so robotic, like you said, but at the same time, everything that we know about them, it fits into that mold. So speaking of great things about this show, it was Kind of a hard week to pick the MVP, I'd say. Like, we don't really leave anyone in a great place. So my nominee for MVP was a side character, which is just Bruno the pizza guy, who we know and love, is finally cashing in on decades in the business and a very valuable partnership with a super powerful hedge funder. He's getting his. He's going to Florida. Good for Bruno. I I had the same thought. That was the first character that came to mind. And the the fact that it's a minor one, again, speaks to your point about how there wasn't really a huge winner here. 
I think if I had to pick somebody else, I would say you can make a case for Axe because he sort of got what he wanted out of Taylor, which was like the side between your father and your business, which, you know, that obviously ended up going one way and it was eventually the way he expected and sort of and then getting you know the hard bob situation like figured out and that we were in then laughing about it that is just i don't even want to say the name hard Bob. i would I can we just call him bob sure i can i can be down with that bob but it also just wasn't a big episode for axe it was yeah. a big episode of people like doing things on axe's behalf or in response to him but like he doesn't have a whole lot going on which is maybe a follow-up to last week which maybe we should check in about because we didn't do recapables last week but mm-hmm. just how did you feel about uh axe giving lara the check and being like yeah you know the kids that i like insisted right. you keep in the new york metro area you can just take them wherever i'm fine now on the one hand i was shocked to see her come back on the other hand i had been wondering like how would they sort of fold her back into the picture because like where did they go you know it felt in character literally wearing black like a widow yeah exactly it was, it was crazy and she wore i think white for like the most part of the sh- it felt like for the most of the show when she was on but anyways i thought it was in character and i thought that it fit with obviously acts now, you know, befriending uh, uh, Rebecca Cantu, who they, they have like a bed and breakfast and stocks talk like in the, in this in this episode, which is incredible. But because we don't see the kids anymore and it's just like, it's just Lara, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was fitting for him. I got to say the, first of all, kiss my ass, you know, I don't fuck with gluten-free is just one of the best lines of dialogue in this episode. I do love Rebecca. She's great. But also just very in character for Axe, for his girlfriend to like very rationally be like, I can tell you're not letting me in. I would like this relationship to be serious. Please like have some emotional availability. And he's like, yes, got it. I will close myself off from my own children and ship them across the country without telling you. And that is how I will become emotionally prepared to be in a real relationship And then I will ask you to do like financial favors for me so that I can crush my, you know, former protege. Yeah, and also just like her being like, oh, remind me to never double cross you. Definitely (laughs) felt like a very uh, large and loud Chekhov's gun. In addition to the yeah. literal Chekhov's gun we had this episode, which right. is maybe a good transition to LVP because, holy shit, I hate this dude so much. His name is apparently Larry Brogan. He's the guy— he cast, cast it perfectly, though. Cast it perfectly. Like, great job in the actor and just having a deeply punchable face this whole yes. episode. But, you know, surprisingly, the guy who just threw a tantrum about needing a gun— did not use it responsibly no, and yeah. murdered a dog. And then I think the worst part was just like when he calls Chuck, he appears to have just like no comprehension of the gravity of his actions. It is like, why don't you just fix this for me? Uh, let me like try to keep drinking, even though me being drunk is what got yeah. me into this mess in the first place. Right. It's like he was like, uh, oh, I'm not drunk. I've just been drinking. There's a difference. It's so weird little side note here. That guy is on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He's like the guy at a... Uh, at the Bell Labs. Oh, and it's so, a double Maisel crossover. Yeah, and so it was like, it was sort of weird to see him be a mess because he was he's so well put together in the other show. But anyways, I you know, I Extremely good poll. I only got that the actor who plays Douglas is also Joel's yeah. father Well, that, that too, show, for sure. But, Which, a little weird, but that one was I doable. mean, I think New York theater actors could definitely, like, do the rounds on both shows. I'm sure, like, one or both of them will show up on The Good Fight sooner rather than later. <laughs> also, great show. Please consider watching that. Maybe we'll talk about it on this podcast sometime. But definitely thought the dude who... Shot a dog and then whose response to, yeah, the solution to your problems is cutting a six-figure check and buying a new dog was whining instead of being like, thank you for helping me evade jail time and a very public scandal. Just the worst. I hope Chuck really rakes him over the coals for that favor that he says that he's going to call in at some point at the end of the episode. 
just the worst. Anyway, who is your nominee for LVP? Well, I thought Wendy is yeah. a very obvious one because you see her break at the end and we've never really seen that. Like to that extent, I would I would say. So just seeing her go from like this cold, calculated, like perfect person to, for the most part to losing it, I think, I mean, I don't know. It, it's very on the nose, but it was there. It's, yeah, I definitely know. think of like the biggest players on the show. She's probably at the biggest disadvantage. Chuck, I mean, like, Chuck has an open wiretapping investigation against him, but he doesn't know that yet. <laughs> you know, that, just, just a little thing. <laughs> but I also thought we should probably mention Taylor's father, yeah. who really shows himself to be... We got, like, inklings of it last week when they discover that instead of being pushed out, they discover that he was fired for misconduct, which he refuses to apologize for. Mm-hmm. There's a moment early in this episode where they're like, we're going to get you this really nice apartment and the company will pay for it. And his response, instead of like, oh, that's cool, is like, well, yeah, they obviously should because I'm a genius and I need this space to walk around in. And then when they choose their business over him, which is a tough but I think reasonable decision because his business was already tied up by the government, his response is just to, you know, say fuck you and make very clear that his acceptance of their gender identity and his reentry into their life was just totally contingent on them helping him out with his business. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because I don't know if I was ever fully sold on the character. While I liked his relationship with Taylor, there was like a point where it felt like believable that they were, oh, like they're going to do this crazy venture and that's what's going to like topple Axe or or get back at him because it's going to succeed or whatever, which obviously I should have known that this show was not going to do that. But yeah, I mean, he just turned out to be kind of an asshole. Like, you know what I'm saying? And and the one thing I will say, I would have liked to seen Taylor's mom. I think that would have been a- I think maybe we will. I mean, that might be like- wishful thinking, but sure. it, it kind of makes sense to me. But also, I just mostly enjoyed it as added insight into Taylor's yeah. character. I think, like, Taylor's utility in the show, like, from the moment they were introduced was always the counterpoint to this, like, really masculine culture and having a more level head that made them both, like, a more likable person, but also a better traitor. Right. And I thought it was really interesting to see, like, that pattern kind of replicated in the sense that, like, her dad is this total hothead who's also a genius and clearly taught them a lot of things that they carried into adulthood, but also makes mistakes that they're careful to avoid. Like, I really enjoyed the exchange at the very end where, kind of as an insult, he says, you're just like me, only colder, and the response is, yeah, so maybe I'll actually win. Right. It just, there's not as much contrast between like Taylor and the rest of the finance world as there was when they were at Axe Capital. Yeah, and it's just Mephi. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and obviously- Sweet, sweet Mephi. Yeah, oh man, Mephi. I don't, I don't know what to make of him in this weird scenario that we had at the end, sort of. I mean, I don't know, we, I don't know if we want to jump to that, but like I forget that he exists sometimes and then he comes back into the fold and it's like, and he does some, like a big thing or he plays a big part. Yeah, something. I mean like in literally the premiere where Taylor's like, yeah, you're not actually going to be doing anything important here and then he just fucks up and leaks their business information to Wendy and just really is just sad or useless or both all season long. Yeah, I, I, I love that he's there for sort of like a comedic relief, but that's about it, it seems like. Yeah, I think that may be about to change. We'll probably talk about yes. that in predictions, but Until then, Mephi, we love you so much, even if you're not doing a whole lot. But this being a discussion of billions, we have to talk about the most scarring moment because, boy, oh boy, were there a lot of those this week. Multiple, definitely. (laughs) So would you like to get things started? Yeah, I think Jock and Krakow just in the bathroom peeing. First of all, Jock walks in and he's right next to him when there's open urinals all around. Yeah, I am not 
personally familiar with urinal etiquette, <laughs> but it is my understanding yeah. that in a completely empty bathroom, you should maybe not. Yeah, it's the sensible thing to do. But of course, Jock is not going to do the sensible thing. And then their exchange is just way too on the nose where, you know, I I think Cracker goes, uh, I assume like your nickname Jock was because you were an athlete. And he goes, not exactly. And he's like, I can see that as he looks. And it's just like, wow, like we don't need that. The listeners cannot see the face I just made, but I did just make a face. And first of all, just kudos to Billions for including that like wide shot where you can see just how tall Clancy Brown is and just how short Danny Strong is and it's just insane and the way just the way they jump like the analogy there is like oh he's like aiming at things in the urinal and it's like oh you become a target and it's just like (laughs) the most tortured analogy possible (laughs) terrible I would just like to say it is so inevitable I cannot believe it's I didn't see it coming that Billions culminated in a literal dick measuring contest or a literal pissing contest. Kind of both. Both, both. But yeah, I mean, the show was always headed here. I guess we got it out of the way. So thank God for (laughs) that. But I know that you said we needed to call him Bob, but hard Bob Beaufort. Man. Who, what a guy. I mean, I guess it's fitting that like his name sounds like a porn star name and he eventually has a foursome with a bunch of porn stars. In the episode, which thankfully we don't see any of, but we hear a lot about. Thank God. Oh, Jesus. Like, this isn't a zoo. You can come up and touch. Yeah, it was too much. So scarring. And how happy he looked. Oh, it was, was, no thanks. I mean, I did appreciate, first of all, like, there was that summit where, like, everyone on Team Axe is just laughing and, like, they all but just have, they're basically chomping on cigars, even though they don't, they don't literally have cigars. Right. And Chuck is like, you know, it gets really hard to bribe people. They want, like, lots of complicated things, doctor's appointments, spiritual stuff, whatever. And then the lawyer's like, so what did this guy need? And Axe is like, just girls and money. He's just the same as everyone else. I love how they do that, that they cut in from different scenes or whatever, because they did that, too, when Taylor said no to uh, the Rebecca Cantu uh, offer. And I, I don't know. I, I think that's a Billings thing for sure. I mean, not not just a Billings thing, but they, I think they do it really well. And that was another moment where it was like a perfect kind of situation for it. And finally, in more emotionally scarring yes. than anything else, but the pancake eater story. That was dark. What an insight into Chuck's just inner workings. Maybe once a year, perhaps twice upon landing at his seat, but before sitting, a scowl would come across his face. And my father would sweep the bacon, carafe juice, and yes, those perfect pancakes off the table and onto the floor in a fit of rage. And he'd look at my cowering mother and scream, what the hell do I look like, a goddamn pancake? eater and then he'd storm out and my mother would fall to pieces even as she scrambled to clean it all up and put it away she'd spend the rest of the day fretting over what she'd done to set him off and hoping he'd come home i did think it was really interesting that it, it positioned his desire to be dominated as this like yeah kind of psychological rebellion against his father. Like, his dad is like, women want to be dominated, and then Chuck's impulse is to identify more with his mom mm-hmm. than his dad. So I guess that was revealing, but like... It was definitely revealing. It was it was dark, it was scarring, but it was definitely revealing. It, it fit with the, the not just the Chuck arc, but also who we know Charles Sr. to be, you know, and, 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 and the terrible person he is. Yeah, I mean, it's really just one of those things where, like, from the outside, you're like, why don't you just tell your dad to go fuck himself? And then you're yeah. like, it's so much harder when you're actually in that relationship. Mm-hmm. But Chuck, 
Tell your dad to go fuck himself. Yeah, it needs <laughs> to happen. Like, and, and, and at least, at the very least, don't be making, you know, financial favors for him. Yeah, weird, like, I guess, greasing the palms of bankers. Also, when he's like, oh, like, a few Bernie Madoffs happen and bankers oh don't gosh. have souls anymore. And it's like, man. He does a great job of making himself unlikable. It's incredible. <laughs> yes, it's an amazing performance and just a terrible, terrible person. But... Much as we love this show, we show we love it by nitpicking it. Yes. This is Picking Nits, a segment borrowed from our sister show, The Rewatchables. My personal nitpick was when dealing with a the, the guy whose dog this person shot, who's just looked up the name, it is Shelby Vivian, which wow. is just an incredible rich wow. person name played by the esteemed Dr. Tab from House. Shout That's out to fantastic. that weird season of House where he, like, had everyone try out to be his assistant Never again. Never seen House. Oh, wow. You are truly missing out. Great procedural of the mid-aughts. <laughs> Love you, Hugh Laurie. But that is how I will recognize that actor from basically for the rest of the time. He's always going to be Dr. Taub. But his name is Shelby Vivian, and his dog's name was Charlemagne. <laughs> no way. I didn't even pick that up. You didn't? Oh, when, I, or, when, or maybe just, yeah. When Chuck basically blackmails him into yeah, yeah, dropping yeah. the complaint and also just, like, shoves a puppy in his face— and Shelby is like, Charlemagne is irreplaceable. <laughs> Just adorable. Belgian Malinois, beautiful dog. Mm-hmm. Also, guys, try to adopt your dogs from shelters. I mean. I've never had a pet, so I can't speak to that. I will say, now that we're in the picking it situation, didn't the guy who bribed them say that he was originally bribing him with $100,000 and a puppy? And then Chuck, yeah, I think you know Chuck what I'm just, saying? Basically, like, he originally had that deal. He tried to, like, up the deal by being like, that's not enough. And then Chuck is like, you will take the original deal and okay. you will like it. I think that's what that was about. Yeah. But I brought him up because Chuck is like, every speech in Billions needs, like, some of sort course. of menacing, tortured analogy, a la the pissing on flies and targets or whatever. And this one was Chuck talking about how when you die, pets will eat you and— you know, as a proud cat owner, I would just like to say I'm pretty sure only cats do that and dogs don't really do that because cats are, as we know, the most depraved and soulless of all animals. Just psychopaths. Like I so. said, no, no cats, no dogs in my life. So I have, I, have, I have zero insight here, unfortunately. Highly encourage you to open your heart up to some animals <laughs> or just like look at Mallory Rubin's Instagram and just sure. soak up the vibes Exactly, Halo. That, that'll do. Just a beautiful animal. Love you, Halo. Yeah, so that was like my number one nitpick, but... I did also want to bring up, is this realtor? The realtor appears to be, like, very aware that Wendy is the one, like, driving this ship and seems to, like, take some pleasure in twisting the knife and, like, kicking Chuck out of the house. Right. This seems to be, like, not best real estate practices, in my opinion. That smell that drove you to get out fork and knife, even though moments before you had no idea you wanted pie. It brings warmth. Contentment. And that's what's called for right now. Mm-hmm. Why? People are coming to look at the house. Real buyers. Your kids are out with a babysitter. And where is Wendy? Out. It'd be good if you were out too. In my in my mind, this is how it's happening, where the realtor is like a long... They went to college together. That's what I'm imagining. Like, Wendy went to college yeah, with this realtor. Yeah, Wendy's like, and I'm going to call it a favor. And it's like, let's go. Can we do this? Like, you know what I'm saying? That, Plausible that's Plausible backstory. I was just kind of like, this doesn't... Also, like, if I were a realtor and I was like, I can see that both halves of this couple aren't on the same page, I would just, like, want them to be on the same page so that, like, I knew my sale and my commission were on lock. But I don't know, maybe... But Allison, it's going to do great on Zillow. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's also really hard to take a loss on a Brooklyn Heights brownstone. Exactly. Again, just beautiful home. Shout out to the 
set designers and everyone else who secured that location. My nitpick, I guess, if, that, if we're going <laughs> to go there, was the wiretap. I had just like, I, I just had questions about the wiretapping. Okay. Because it got it got approved, obviously. But then the first time they we, we get a look at how they're doing it and, and, and what they're doing, they're in this van and it feels very like, okay, this is how it's supposed to happen. Like, you know, in a, in, a, in a van that's hidden in, you know, a, a, a random street and they're just listening in. But then the next time they do the wiretapping, they're just in Connerty's office and they're just kind of like listening to a phone. And I was like, so what, maybe I don't know enough about wiretapping to, to speak on it and say that that is just how it how it is. But it just felt like weird to me how we got like two random scenes about them listening into Chuck conversations and there were different scenarios. I mean, I just feel like Connerty would probably have people listening on his behalf because like he doesn't have time sure. while serving well, as too, United yeah. States attorney to listen in on every phone call. But I'm guessing we're going to find out more about the details in the investigation if and when Chuck gets perp-walked, which may happen sooner rather than later. I will say, I was very much in on Connerty going into the season, but he hasn't really done it for me this season. Like, it's just... I, I think I, Connerty peaked when he just like ripped into that yes, meatball sub. Yes, 100%. That was just some beautiful, from there, though. beautiful face acting by Toby Leonard Moore. I don't know. I was a little disappointed last week when he decided to, like, go all in on his alliance with Jeffcoat. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, it's fitting, like, the theme of the show is that the students become the masters or whatever. Right. But, you know, I in a week where, like, Taylor, I actually really admired how they were very clear-eyed about their father. They kind of emerged a little more resilient from this, like, supposed psychological death blow. And they seemed to just... You know, be shattered, but like I think they'll ultimately be a little stronger as right. they continue to wage this war against Axe. And then Connerty just is totally down the river, man. He's off the rails. Yeah. But speaking of what's going to happen later in the season, we did have some predictions and some, you know, just speculation about what's to come in the remaining five episodes of Billion Season Four. Mine is I think that Muffy blow up was staged. You. Do you have any fucking idea what you've done? I used to think you were this idealized version of a person with all the answers and the ability to make each of us the best of who we could be. I trusted you, we all did, because you charmed, manipulated, worked us to. All with that bullshit Buddha smile. And now, I know that what was behind that smile wasn't some serene and wise teacher, it hit a sick, vicious phony. Now I know what you really are, a goddamn monster. Hey! It felt very calculated to me. Yeah, especially for Mufiu, who we know is not somebody who is very calculated at all. No, but I could totally see him like he's at this low point. He feel like he feels like he's let his boss down. And also he I think like the anger was very real, but yeah. I just think like the decision to go to Axe Cap and do that to Wendy. I feel like that was Taylor being like I'm going to start doing psychological warfare the other way around and like give Wendy some of her own medicine and start messing with her head because I can kind of guess where she's at right now. No, it's a very sensible prediction. I, I did sort of watch it again to see, and I think I, I can see that for sure. If him, because it, it felt very like, all right, I'm going to go here and do this. And because hypothetically, if we're wondering what that conversation looked like before Mephi got to the office, is probably Taylor being like, look, you messed this up. You need to like, at least help me do this. Yeah, take one for the team. Exactly, yeah. It's probably past due for Taylor to go on the offensive against Axe and not in a like Grigor Andalov hack all of Axe Capital Systems way. 
Like, I think they can do it legitimately, but I definitely, you know, the truce clearly isn't working out. Axe right. is clearly just, like, totally consumed. Wendy is also just, you know, clearly not going to intervene or do anything about this. It's yeah. time for Taylor to really take some matters into their own hands. Did you have any predictions going forward? Well, I was just thinking about Wendy, and I I wonder if, if we will see her turn on Axe at any point. She's very much clearly still going along with what he wants to do. But I feel like there's there's going to come a breaking point if there already hasn't been one, and we just saw her break at the end of this episode. I just wonder how the, the rest of the season is going to go in terms of that relationship. I think that could be something we see down the line. For sure. So before we go, because this is a podcast about billions, we obviously have some quotes that we love and cherish and want to recap yes. for you guys. Honestly, we got to mine already, which was just Rebecca saying, fuck you, I'm not into gluten-free. That was a great which, one. I have multiple family members with celiac. I definitely appreciate the plight of those who are actually gluten-free, but I do not have much respect for it as a fat diet. So Yeah, my girlfriend is gluten-free, so I I feel that, you know. Look, it does make life easier for my family members because they can now, like, go into a restaurant and instead of explaining, like, what amino acids and proteins are and, like, running through wheat, barley, and rye, they can just be, like, gluten-free, and then everyone gets it. But I also appreciate someone being, like, nah. So eat a well-rounded diet, people. There we go. Anyway. Did you have any more quotes that you wanted to go for? This wasn't like a super great one, but I just loved the the way in which uh, Wags delivered it. Where he gets up from the pizzeria and he and he's about to leave, and he's like, "I'll be at the office, thinking, planning. Sure, say it, scheming." And then he just walks off, and it's just like it's yeah. so it's such a Wags you moment. Know, I love it. After Wags like had the whole humiliation and drag last week, yeah. I'm just glad it hasn't really gotten his spirit down. That's true. Yeah, I, I did kind of wonder how he was going to bounce back from that. And then the other one I had was uh, when Axe brings in Krakow to the back office of the pizzeria and Chuck is there and he goes oh no no this is before this is when Cracker comes to him and he's like hey I'm in an issue I'm in, I'm in trouble like Chuck is coming after me whatever he goes oh yeah he's like got that river of sweat running down your crack like a bombing comedian and I thought that was like a very fun line zing yep yeah uh Tough look for Todd Krakow. Great look for Axe. I hope that they find an equally delicious pizzeria to have their shady dealings in. Yeah, what what do you think is going to happen with the pizzeria? What do you think you're going to... I guess because Axe was like, I'll buy you out. But does that mean that he wants to... I think that was Axe learning to let go of something he loves, but I could also definitely see him, like, paying someone else to come in and, like, crack the formula. Yeah. You know, you, got, you need, you need that. that New York water. You can't, you yeah. can't replicate the magic in Florida. <laughs> but you can ship it, I guess. True. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Recapables Billions Edition. We will be back later in the season with another check-in. And until then, you can find episodes of the Precapables, Game of Thrones, and the Recapables Killing Eve on Fridays and Sundays, respectively, on the Recapables feed. Thank you for listening, guys. 